Swift Unwrapped, a podcast about the Swift.org open source projects and Swift, the programming language. I'm Jesse Squires. And I'm JP Smart. So one thing we're starting to do is a bug of the week. And I think you have one. I do. Yeah. Um, technically, there are two SRs on uh, bugs.swift.org, but they happen to be uh, the same underlying cause. Um, so the first one is one that I'd filed uh, in, let's see, in May of this year uh, using the Swift 4 snapshots. And I was getting some really confusing assertion failures uh, very late in the build process for Swift Package Manager mm-hmm. using uh, using these early Swift 4 snapshots. And they've persisted since then. Uh, and the assertion was, assertion failed, FD greater than zero and file not open yet. Uh, file not yet open. So that was kind of fun. Um, it was coming from within LVM, uh, but I couldn't reproduce it outside of Swift Package Manager. Couldn't reproduce it with Swift C, couldn't reproduce it with LL Build using the YAML build manifest that uh, Swift Package Manager was generating. So what were you working on when you found this? So I was working on uh, SwiftLint and SourceKitten. Mm-hmm. Um, actually, this this only happened with SwiftLint. Um, so very interesting because I could compile all sorts of other things and everything worked fine. And what's odd is that uh, this was working fine on Linux hmm. using the same Swift snapshots. Um, so, hmm, what's going on here? And uh, there wasn't a whole lot of activity other than uh, really just kind of some Swift people saying, oh, this must be Swift package manager's fault. And then the, the Swift PM folks saying, no, this is probably a compiler issue. And mm-hmm. uh, then no more activity after the first like three days, basically. Mm-hmm. So whatever, um, what tends to, what I think in my, in my experience tends to happen with these Swift bugs is that unless it's really kind of top of mind and unless there are comments, it's not like uh, the Swift folks at Apple have a ton of time to just kind of go through the backlog and yep. uh, just try and go and fix things. Even if there are clear repro cases, like in this case, where every single command was there in a fresh environment, you do all these things, you hit the assertion failure. So um, here I was uh, a few days ago, uh, still fed up that this was a problem. But um, in Xcode 9 beta 3, I was getting a similar error where it was an LLVM error, IO failure on output stream. And hmm. even though there are different error messages, it, it happened in the same kind of situations, only when building SwiftLint, only on macOS, not on Linux. And... Um, you know, everything in the project was supposed to be compiling with Swift 4. Using that snapshot and Xcode, everything worked fine. So, uh, again, thinking that it was probably the same thing. Um, and then, ultimately, uh, by reviving this, by creating this new SR, SR5491, uh, this spawned a whole new conversation and kind of brought it back to top of mind to uh, for Jordan Rose and Ankit, who works on the Swift Package Manager. And then they kind of... Uh, went back and forth, and eventually, um, Keith suggested that I can pass a disable sandbox flag to Swift Build, which ended up uh, working. So 
that's why um, LL Build wasn't causing any issues because that doesn't run in the sandbox. And that's why I have I hadn't seen this issue on Linux because mm-hmm. there is no sandbox there either. Um, so it turns out that the Swift Package Manager was um, actually more the compiler rather was being run in sandbox mode uh, and logging to... Um, which is just the default on... Which is the default on Mac OS. Yeah. Um, and it was trying to open a file descriptor in a temporary directory mm. uh, in order to output its logs. Um, very reasonable thing to do, except that it had been using a new pattern for where it determined what file to write to, what file descriptor to write to, mm-hmm. uh, as of Swift 4. And that meant that the Swift package manager, when it kind of auto-generates um, a sandbox manifest file, uh, which is like this s expression like uh syntax to tell mac os um sandbox where a process should be allowed to read and write uh that it just wasn't adding the the right temporary directories um unfortunately this isn't really documented in swift compiler right and so even from the swift package manager side of things uh and keith was just like well how am i supposed to figure (laughs) out where this is going to write you know um and it turns out that there was a relatively straightforward solution. I mean, obviously, all thanks to um, Ankit. But he filed a PR on Swift Package Manager 12.77. And that's just to uh, specify a new temporary directory, like parent uh, root temporary directory for the Swift compiler to run in. Yeah. So that um, all the Swift Package Manager has to say is that everything within that root temporary directory, mm-hmm. you should be able to read and write. So that way, there's no kind of complex logic to determine like which exact paths are the compiler going to, is the compiler going to try to write to or read to, read from. Um, Rather, you just kind of pass it this parent temp directory and uh, everything within it should have access. So kind of a neat solution. It's a little bit frustrating that it took a few months to get resolved. But on the other hand, uh, this probably wasn't a very common issue because right. um, the reason why I filed these SRs is that there were no other uh, Swift bugs that were tracking this. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course, you know, if you're living on the cutting edge, uh, you're just kind of asking for this kind of stuff. So, um, you know, definitely no uh, no frustration against the, the Swift folks uh, who ended up fixing this, but more of a reflection that if you're early on as an early adopter of these Swift changes, mm-hmm. uh, you often have to deal with this kind of stuff. And even if you go through the effort to have a fully reproducible repro case, uh, that's still not enough to um, kind of warrant the focus to be on on actually fixing that. Yeah. Seems like a pretty big edge case. Yeah. Absolutely, or but it still prevents rare. Swift build from working on right. things that it should otherwise build. So um, edge case that you know is kind of esoteric, but yeah. prevents things from working. So uh, thanks to Ankit and Jordan for tracking it down and fixing it. Yeah, cool. So uh, our main point of discussion today uh, was going to be about uh, proposals. So Swift 4 is kind of uh, winding down uh, a bit. We're in... Uh, Beta 3, I'm sure Beta 4 will be out soon. And um, we've seen a few proposals uh, accepted um, and even new ones proposed within the past couple weeks. Yeah, still lots of activity, um, mostly just kind of refinements on proposals that had already been 
uh, accepted and then the implementers kind of realizing afterwards, oh, there's these edge cases that we didn't uh, consider in the dis- in the design phase. Um, so it's nice to see. Uh, yeah, that's right. Um, so one of these uh, that came through uh, recently, uh, and it was actually implemented by uh, someone from the community, uh, was another refinement on the uh, multi-line strings. So we talked about this before. And actually, when we talked before, I didn't realize that at the time that the multi-line string literals included the new lines implicitly. So you'd have like um, the strings there. And remember you said, yeah, so if you have three lines, then that means uh, when this is printed or whatever, like those new lines are there. Um, And so this allows you uh, to escape those new lines. Uh, This is proposal 182. Yep. And it was uh, proposed once again by uh, the uh, person who had proposed multi-line string literals in the first place, Mr. John Holdsworth, along with David Hart and Adrian Zubarev. And um, ultimately, I mean, I'm not sure there's a whole ton to say about this, but it's basically introducing the backslash character that uh, will escape the new line so that uh, much like in Bash or other popular shells, and I think uh, Ruby has the, the same operator, um, you can basically break down a single line string um, value uh, within line breaks so that you're like hard wrapping uh, the contents basically, but that uh, that new line isn't included in the final resulting string. It's stripped out. So it's strictly just for a visual um, uh, visual aid so that you're not, you know, spanning a string that's super wide. Right. Um, right. and you don't necessarily want new lines in there, but you do want to break it up. Um, so very nice change. Um, yeah, pretty convenient. Like yeah. Cool. Um, uh, moving on. Um, well, one, one oh, tiny more thing to sure. say on that is that, uh, there was some discussion as to whether or not this uh, new line escaping character should also work with single line uh, literals. And uh, it, if I'm not mistaken, that's how it works in Ruby as well, right? And there, there's cer- certainly some elegance to uh, having that where um, you can, you know, the, the backslash character at, at that point is no longer context dependent. Mm-hmm. It's not like you have to remember that it's okay to use it in some strings, but not others, right? To have a consistent yeah. experience in all of them uh, is elegant to some extent. But on the other hand, uh, it seems like the discussion on Swift evolution around this was that, well, if we allow this for single line string literals, then what's the point of multi-line string literals? And not only that, but then you're actually introducing a, a breaking change yep. because uh, this character would have been inert in Swift 3.x. So to say that um, you're introducing a breaking change in Swift 4, which is a strong anti-goal, right? To, yeah, exactly. To just avoid breaking changes in Swift 4. Um, I think ultimately all of those factors together led to uh, it not being included for single line literals, only multi-line string literals. Yeah, and overall I think that makes sense. It seems like it's not worth the technical trade-offs or uh, any other potentially confusing things. Yeah, even just conceptual trade-off. Um, yeah. you know, I, I don't think it's it's that challenging for people to understand this. Yeah. Another uh, string proposal, uh, 183. This was just introduced uh, this week, I think, and um, uh, written by Ben Cohen. 
So again, it's, you know, it's nice to see more optimizations around Swift strings. You know, it's kind of like things are coming up a little last minute, but it looks like uh, this can hopefully get through uh, for Swift 4. And basically uh, what this pr proposal wants to do is just modify a few methods in the standard library uh, that are commonly used uh, with the, the new substring type. Yeah, so I definitely caught this when I was um, updating one of my projects to the latest Swift 4 snapshot where I had been using substrings as one does because you're just slicing and dicing all over the place. And I was passing that to things like um, floating point initializers. And um, there I found that, oh, uh, this is expecting a string, not a string protocol. And so um, even just the within the first five minutes of attempting to conform to the, or update to the latest Swift snapshot, uh, I basically found the same thing that, that Ben had found here, which is that, uh, yeah, there were a few holdouts from the previous uh, substring protocol, or string protocol rather, uh, change that uh, just hadn't been looped in. So um, having initializers on floating points and integer types to conform to string protocol rather than string, that means that you don't have to copy strings out if you're passing a substring to uh, one of those initializers, the the join method uh, where your sequence is uh, is string or is elements of string, mm -hmm. instead move that to string protocol again so that you can join substrings. Yep. And uh, substring dot filter returning a string that one I'm I'm less clear on. Yeah, uh, I don't have much context on that either. So because string and string protocol now conform to collection. Um, you can have filter on it, just like you would have previously with um, the character view, string.characterView. Right. Um, except that previously on string.characterView, when you filtered that, you got a sequence of characters. And rather than returning a sequence of characters with filter, you get a substring. Or, or actually, you, you get a, a new string because um, you can't just assume that you have a contiguous substring anymore. Um, mm. So it creates a new string. Right. But... That I actually find a little bit confusing. Um, certainly useful, but it kind of seems to break um, the just general paradigm that uh, filter on a collection r returns. I, I guess on a lot of collections, filter on a collection will return that same type with the filtered elements. Right. So it does make sense, but um, I, I don't know. I'm having trouble identifying why <laughs> this feels a little weird to me. Yeah. I, I guess because I, I don't always think of string as a collection. Uh, which has gone back and forth, right? Like string was a collection, then mm -hmm. it wasn't, now it is again. But yeah, having filter, I mean, try to think of having flat map on string. Mm -hmm. And I think most people will find that a little bit weirder. But, yeah, uh, I, I see the same kind of strangeness with having filter on, on substring. Mm -hmm. And then um, here... In the proposal, it says that it's an extension on substring. Well, why isn't it an extension on string protocol? I was about to ask that. That's yeah. a good question. Um, hmm. Maybe because maybe because string already has a filter that returns strings before. Hmm. Mm. It also notes that these are going to be added to the standard library as opposed to replacing anything. So I guess these other, the extensions on the, the integers and floating point values uh, that accepted a string in the init before, uh, we'll just additionally have the ones that accept a string protocol now. Well, I would think that you're, 
straight up replacing the yeah. versions that took in a string and replacing them with uh, a generic initializer that takes in yeah. something conforming to string protocol because the latter is a superset of the former. So you don't need both overloads. Uh, both overloads. Right, right. It does say these additions, though. Right. Uh, uh, but maybe maybe I'm reading that too literally. I think yeah. you are. Okay. Yeah, I think okay. addition <laughs> in the sense that it's extending what's already there. Um, Got it, yeah. In terms of functionality and interface. Yeah. Yeah. Overall, this seems like something that, you know, it's, it seems like a very logical thing to do. I feel like the proposal aspect of this is just kind of for a formality because we are modifying the standard library. It is. And, yeah. you know, what's a given to one person might not necessarily be to another. And um, that's one of the common pitfalls of API design is when you just think that something is obvious and you missed something like a critical edge case. And right. so opening it up to review is a critical part of the process there. Right, yeah, uh, which could potentially catch some of these things or reveal additional uh, areas of the API that may need change. Yeah, one thing that I kind of want to touch on here is that um, this is really an omnibus of a proposal where it has three changes mm-hmm. that are, they share a common theme, but they're disjoint. You yeah. know, you can do any one of those three things independently. And I don't know how I feel about kind of lumping changes in like that as part of the same review. I mean, obviously, if individually these changes were larger in scope, then Mm -hmm. it'd be clear that this proposal would need to be split up. Right now, these are three very specific, very targeted points that contribute to the overall goal of substring performance affordances. But um, just to me, and this is my opinion, the first two items of this proposal are super clear and obvious uh, and and should be done, no questions asked. The third one's debatable because of the kind of strangeness that I mentioned. And maybe that's uh, just me personally identifying this, but it means that two straightforward things are probably going to be held up by a third, more complex, more kind of debatable aspect. And... um, I just think it kind of muddies the whole concept of proposals, right? And that's Mm -hmm. why in programming, you have this concept of uh, single responsibility principle, right? right. So that you're not not trying to do, bite off more than you can chew. Um, So I don't know how I feel about all this. Yeah, uh, I think discussions are like just kind of starting really on the uh, the list. So we'll see how this plays out uh, over the coming days and weeks. Yeah, and we have some more string-related uh, proposals here. There is a string index overhaul, which is SE180, authored by Dave Abrahams, and uh, looks like this was accepted. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, this should be fun. And I think Dave has already had a number of pull requests to to implement this. I don't know if it's 100% complete yet or just partially, but I know at least quite a bit of work has been done on this already. I think it's still... Yeah, it's not marked as uh, fully implemented yet, but... Yeah, um, I know that it's at least partially implemented because, again, I caught this when I was trying to update a project to the latest before Snapshot. And what I found a little bit confusing is that um, now, even if you're converting um, or, I guess, recomputing what an index's value is in another view of the string, yeah. that is always failable now. Whereas mm-hmm. in the past, it was on a case-by-case basis. Um, some going from one encoding to the other, 
in some cases, always succeeded. Right. And now um, I think in the name of uh, kind of generalizing and simplifying the API a little bit, now it's always failable, even in cases where the compiler should know that it can't fail. Right. And that's that actually kind of touches on one of my minor gripes with Swift mm-hmm. is that um, the type system doesn't always allow you to define uh, conditional success or conditional failure. Um, so conditional failability. Or, so th- this is one uh, example, right? Right, where we're actually going from a system in which could be conditionally fallible, mm-hmm. um, but only with an explosion of methods and types. Right. And now we're moving to a consolidation of method and types, but we're losing that conditional f- failability. Mm-hmm. I've found this for, for some of my projects, like Realm, for example, where yeah. um, certain operations should only be mutating from within a write transaction. And Realm does this for atomic database operations. Yeah, yeah. So that you can group mutating operations together and it should really be a compiler error if you're trying to access this outside of a write transaction mm-hmm. um, another example is uh, we have the realm initializer yeah. is failable uh, even though 99% of the time we know that it cannot fail Yeah. Um, but just because it can fail in one very specific case which is the first time that you're creating an instance of a realm on any given thread we can't conditionally describe that it's part of the type system. Yeah, yeah. Um, so that means that uh, even with perfectly legitimate code, it's littered with forced tries mm-hmm. because it cannot fail. Mm-hmm. And so there's no point in kind of having uh, error handling for something that we know can't fail. And there's yeah. some parts of Swift that kind of allow for this conditional failability, like the rethrows concept. Sure. Yeah. But that's a very special case for, for closures. Uh, yeah, that's an interesting idea. That's something I haven't really run into that much in the, the work I've been doing. But yeah, it's interesting to see things move in that direction. So we have one last um, proposal that's been implemented. This time it's not related to strings. It's uh, related to the Swift Package Manager. Um, So SE181 by Ankit Agarwal. And that's a proposal to uh, enhance the C and C++ language standard support in the Swift Package Manager. And so previously there was no way to specify a C++ standard library version. So if, say, your code was using C++14 as a standard, right. uh, you wouldn't actually be able to build it uh, because the Swift Package Manager defaulted to C++11. Um, now you could pass uh, XCC front-end flags to the Swift Package Manager, Swift build uh, XCC, and then you pass in C++ standards, C++14. But then because that flag is passed to all of the compilers that Swift build invokes, it's an invalid compiler flag for Swift. Uh, So, hey, you can build your C++14, (laughs) but not any of the Swift code, which kind of defeats the purpose of using the Swift package manager. Um, So it's nice that this was added in. And this was added in um, mostly as a stopgap measure until uh, build settings can be fully implemented on a per-target basis uh, within the Swift package manager. And um, 
So you had a case where you you needed this, right? I did, yeah. Um, I needed this to be able to build Realm with the Swift Package Manager because Realm has a lot of C++ in there. It uses C++ 14. And then what I wanted to do is to build um, Realm Swift using the Swift Package Manager. And uh, all the languages that Realm uses are supported by the Swift Package Manager. Mm-hmm. C++, Objective-C, Objective-C++, Swift, some C in there. And so technically, you know, I thought, oh, this should definitely be doable. Yeah. And it was doable in Swift 3 if you didn't build most of Realm using Swift <laughs> Package Manager because Swift Package Manager has the ability to target or to link system modules. And system modules, uh, that's the terminology that Swift Package Manager uses, isn't just for system modules. It's for any kind of pre-built binary, whether it's static, I dynamic. I see. And so if you kind of built all of Realm's implementation, C, C++, Objective-C, using something like CMake or Xcode build and then had some sort of dynamic library, yeah. you could then build Realm Swift using Swift Package Manager targeting that. Right, but just linking you needed to two build systems. Right. Right, and it, right. People don't do that. Uh, <laughs> you know, if, if you're aiming for, you know, real people to use your thing... Um, you know, you don't want super complex build instructions where you're hopping between differently versioned uh, build systems that work in completely different ways, increasing the number of ways things can break. If you had a package that you wanted to distribute, let's and like you weren't distributing the binary, right? It'd be a package so they'd get the source and clients would build it themselves. Yeah. Then your clients would run into this issue uh, having to pass these weird C++ flags and stuff. Well, even then, Pri- prior to this change, it still right? wouldn't work. Right. Uh, because right. the Swift C compiler would say, what do you mean C++ 14? Right. That's not one of my versions. Right. Um, so. Right. But I guess, uh, let's say, even if, even if that weren't a problem, then prior to this, you'd have to, when you're providing your package to third parties, instruct them to build it in a certain way, For passing sure. these flags, which yeah. is just like a bizarre thing to have to tell clients, right? Yeah, it's definitely um, a good goal to just say, well, if anything, is, if anything supports a Swift package manager as a build tool, just do Swift build and you have it. Yeah. Right. And you look at package managers for other modern languages like Cargo for for Rust and uh, or is Cargo for Go? I forget. Cargo. I'm not familiar, but it sounds like it should go with Go, not... Uh... It is... Rust. Okay. <laughs> cargo, packages for Rust. Um, yeah, so it's it's always just, I think, cargo build, whatever the command is. It, yeah. You know, if if your package supports cargo, then, um, you know, there's just the one way to build it. Uh, and that's certainly nice. Um, so I'm happy that this was added as a stopgap measure so we didn't have to wait another 12 months for Swift 5 to have build settings. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so thank you again to the Swift Package Manager team for um, for heeding our calls and making this happen. So that's it for today's episode of Swift Unwrapped. Uh, you can find the show at Swift underscore Unwrapped. You can find me on Twitter at SimJP. And you can find me uh, at Jesse underscore Squires. Thanks for listening. Thank you.